0: Nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring today. Robert Half is here to help. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This is Money Beat from The Wall
1: Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Steven Grosser. Stock market continues to hit records. Dow Jones Industrial Average closing over 23,000 for the first time. How do you, dear investor, value that? Welcome to the Money Beat podcast. I'm Paul Vigne. I'm Stephen Grosser. So, so Dow twenty three thousand does it mean anything? Stephen Grosser, does it mean anything?
0: I mean, it means a lot less than it used to, or the thousand point moves. But it is interesting that we're this is the fourth, um, you know, I guess millennial marker that we've crossed this year. That has never happened before, and I mean, and partially that is because. 1,000-point moves aren't what they used to be. But that's still notable. Um, The most we've ever had in a previous year was two. So four is, you know.
1: So, so the stock market is going Double up. That. The, these indexes are increasing. We don't have to tell you that. That's not news. The, the question is, what does it mean? How do you value
0: but, that? And Well, I, I think the bigger question in the, when you're talking about 23,000 is where are valuations right now? And the fact that this came 30, sure. 30 years after the 1987 crash when people were worried about valuations as well. And the market right. had marched higher. And that October has also been a time when markets peak and it crashes. Right. The, the question is,
1: what are these numbers are telling you? How do you value the market? And to do that, we were lucky enough to get a few minutes with a man who knows more about valuations than probably anybody, uh, Professor Robert Schiller, Yale University, notable economist, everyone knows him, famous for his CAPE ratio, the cyclically adjusted P.E. ratio.
0: And I think the key part of this that we haven't gotten into is that... We taped this earlier in the week. We went down to the NYSE and we, we talked to him on the floor at the capital of uh, or the headquarters, headquarters of capitalism, of capitalism, 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 capitalism right, right, right. Um, to talk to him. Right. So
1: uh, we are going to give you now that interview with Robert Schiller down at the NYSE. He was down there celebrating the fifth anniversary of the partnership he had with Bar- with Barclays to create a series of indices based upon his CAPE ratio. So here is our interview with Professor Robert Schiller from the NYSE where we asked him about his CAPE ratio and the indices that were built by him, him and Barclays based upon it.
2: Okay, well, the CAPE ratio, you know where it started? I have to, John Campbell, my student, and I first published it in 1988. But I took a look to uh, see if I could find any reference to the general idea earlier, and I found an article in the Wall Street Journal <laughs> 1911 wow. that had a cl- similar close idea. The idea is that we, we typically compute measure value by price-earnings ratio, but the problem if we use earnings only over one year. And one year is too short. I mean, sometimes a good firm can have a bad year, right? Or the whole market could, there could be an economic recession and last a year or more. That doesn't tell you, the, the stocks are long-run investments. So you don't want to expect stock prices to fall in a recession. That's not right. So we did, we just picked a 10-year average. Lo and behold, the Wall Street Journal had one article in 1911 that said that. Then the next thing was Graham and Dodd, who published in 1934 in their securities analysis, offhand handedly they too said, maybe you want to smooth earnings over five or ten years. But um, nobody ever picked it up, you know, and nobody ever did a real careful statistical analysis. So Campbell and I looked at it. We didn't know that anyone had ever proposed it. We kind of rediscovered the idea. But we found that it works in predicting long-run return, not short-run returns. Okay, okay, I have to ask, how did you come across an article from 1911 in the Wall Street Journal? Well, this was before your cell phone would do it. <laughs> you can do it on your cell phone now. But I actually had to go to the microfilm room at oh. Yale Library, wow. and it worked. It's still there, too, but it's a little bit tedious to go picking up these reels of film and putting them in a film reader. So I guess uh, the question is, five years ago, how did you come about launching
0: these indices with Barclays?
2: Well, I met people at Barclays through other... I had another business at that time, and they were interested in Cape, (laughs) not not what we had to sell it. But that's what you do in life. You find out what's really important by listening to what other people say they want. And I think uh, Lawrence Black, among others there, just looked at the statistics Campbell and I had shown also. Our outperformance was based on data back to 1871, okay? (laughs) Uh, Not many anomalies seekers use data that far back. So it doesn't absolutely prove it, but we know this this strategy has worked for well over 100 years. Why do you think people don't? use a longer-term horizon. The year seems especially important because of the seasons and the school year. You just naturally, without even thinking, they don't even say, people will say, GDP grew at X percent. And they don't even say, are you talking quarterly or <laughs> annually right. or decadally? It, it's just assumed. It's like we're, we're our whole mind, it's probably in our brain program that the year means something. But there's another reason why I think, a couple other reasons. One is that our uh, CAPE ratios tend to be high, high because if you average over ten years, mm-hmm. the earnings are usually growing. It makes the investment look expensive and people don't like to, <laughs> they don 't like to think something's expensive and The other thing is that you can 't compute cape for new companies uh, because they haven 't been around for ten years, and even if they 've been around say for twelve years or fourteen years. It's not going to work well because it, most companies go through a startup phase right. and they're not going to have earnings at the beginning. Those are the reasons. Also because journalism, <laughs> I'm talking to journalists now, they like to talk in terms that are familiar to people. You don't want to keep explaining I have something new.
0: Can you talk a little bit about how you use the CAPE ratio with the indices and you know choosing stocks and things like that?
2: There's different ways you could use CAPE. One of them is to allocate between equities and cash. Another one is to allocate between countries another one is to allocate between individual stocks and the other one that that, which we're talking about today is to allocate between sectors we started with a sector index first of all sectors go way back Uh, we have data we have their earnings data and we think they will behave the original work i did with campbell was on countries in value investing what makes a stock depart from the true value would be some kind of stories for example there was a railroad boom you heard of this in the 1840s there was another one in the 1830s but there was a big one in the 1840s and then uh, lots of smart people got dro- Charles Darwin lost a fortune <laughs> yeah <laughs> he was supposed to be a smart guy but he goofed up and so but railroads were they used to write poems about trains I mean or songs you know songs. folk yeah, songs yeah, It penetrates the psyche uh, in an important way. So we think that sectors develop a spirit of their own. and They get overpriced or underpriced.
1: That was the first half of our interview with Professor Robert Schiller from the NYSE. You
0: are listening to Money Beat from The Wall Street Journal. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of ten hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit RobertHalf.com today. For
1: a new podcast experience, subscribe to the Future of Everything podcast from The Wall Street Journal. Now on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play Music, The Wall Street Journal. Listen ambitiously. Welcome back to Money Beat, Paul Vini and Stephen Grosser. Uh, now let's continue our interview with Professor Robert Schiller. And, you know, Stephen Grosser, uh, one thing I thought was interesting, and you mentioned this, too, when we were talking to him, is just how how curious of a mind he has and how many different things he was willing to explore and and bring into his sort of his thoughts on the markets. I thought that was really kind of fascinating when he did that.
0: Yeah, no it was. I mean, I thought it was interesting he was bringing in like, you know, Charles Darwin and his investments right. in like railroads and the you know, uh, 150 years ago. Making those connections, I thought, was fascinating. Yeah.
1: And and one of the things he started talking about was the importance of stories and narrative and, and how that fits into our perceptions. So that's actually what we're talking about right now. We're going to pick it up right there. Here's the second half of our interview with Professor Robert Schiller.
2: There are people who've suggested we should change the name of our species from Homo sapiens, which means wise man, to homo narrator the, the the storytelling man Stephen Jay Gould yeah, the right. scientist suggested that because every human society tells stories and they have favorite stories they love and they tell them, tell them to the children and the children carry them on and um, yeah. you wonder what is it how about Aladdin and the wonderful lamp what's so wonderful about that story it's been around for a thousand years right. Disney has picked it up isn't <laughs> there something on Broadway I
1: think uh, there uh, is yeah. what is
2: it nobody really knows This is uh, there's a hu- human society that economists don't like to confront so much about the way we think in terms of stories.
0: I was just getting getting back to what you were talking about before the break in just sectors, and I wanted to ask you. Obviously, tech the tech sector has gotten a lot of attention, especially with the size of a lot of you know the five biggest companies by market cap now are tech companies, and they've had sort of an unprecedented run over the last few years. What do you think about their the their I guess their valuation as a sector? How overvalued has it become?
2: Actually, we. We are not so negative about the tech sector because even though the cape ratio for the tech sector is high, we have something called relative cape, which compares the cape today with the average cape in history for that sector. And relative cape for the tech sector is not not so not bad. There is a, a great story about tech but somehow it's not as strong as it was actually for the whole sector in decades past. Well, what's changed about it? See, We never know. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like lots of people would like to know, movie producers would love to know. I was just thinking, I just saw Dear Evan Hansen. It's the story. It doesn't even sound promising, but somehow it's engaging. This moment in history, the way people feel now, and uh, some artists can do that, not reliably, you know, they'll have one hit. it tends to fade, though, and so we're talking about going viral, which is what dear Evan Hansen has done or is doing. It's not done yet, I think. I, but one of, one of the questions is obviously looking at the cape ratio. It's
0: at I think the highest level it's been. The only other times it's been higher was right before the dot com bubble burst. You're talking about the S and P 500 cape ratio, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and also right before the the stock market crash in 1929. Do you feel that stocks are overvalued? Is you know are you worried that a crash is coming, or do you
2: feel like the market can continue to march higher? Because it just seems to march higher. Yeah, these are unknowable, I think. There's something deep in the... But I think that the march higher that we've seen since the Trump administration has un- psychological underpinnings. And it's not just the U.S., but if the U.S. really looks... We have the highest cape in the world. You know, I think that people like to dump on Trump, but he somehow is an inspiration for, uh, at this point for the market. And I can't exactly explain that, but somehow he is. The market was rising before Trump came in also, I mean, it seems like there is a sort of larger, again, going to the point
1: of narrative, there is a larger narrative going on with people who are buying
0: stocks. and let's not care ourselves I think the Fed has a lot to do with that the central bank and the seven trillion dollars of money that's been pumped into the financial system you you see you look at it now and the S&P hasn't had a pullback of three percent or in, in almost a year hasn't had a pullback of five percent you look at like the bounce back in Puerto Rico municipal bonds recently you look at you know after Brazil had its political crisis the bounce back in the stock it seems like you know people are rushing as soon as something dips around the world at this point people People rush in and buy it. Um, And how much, I mean, I guess how much have central banks played a role in sort of propelling, you know, market higher? And also, is that a risk as they sort of now are changing their into tightening mode?
2: So with our ETN product, CAPE, that uh, we're celebrating here, I think we, we wanted to stay away from trying to exploit the overall market, but looking at movements between sectors in the market. And that has been a great success. In in the last five years, we've outperformed the stock market by 25%. If I could do that, you see, you're bringing it back to Fed policy or something like that. I'm always trying to understand that. I don't find it as clear. We've got lots of sectors and we can reallocate between sectors. They keep bouncing around. Public attention is capricious. You're describing it as, I have to understand one thing, but actually we don't Understand, and we just have a formula. We don't understand any of these movements, but we're looking at a lot of sectors. Uh, we have another product which we just launched in Canada. Now that looks at long-standing old stocks, old standbys. That's now on the as of last week on the Toronto Stock Exchange. There's a lot of different ways that value investing can bite. I think that there's a lot of attention to the national index, just because you were just saying about the Dow. It's everywhere. It's up in lights on Times Square. It's so it just seems like the thing to talk about. But that's only. One one thing we have many things that we that we can uh, optimize over
1: all right so that's it we uh, went down to the NYSC. we talked to robert schiller i uh, hope you got a lot out of it and we will talk to you soon thank you very much for listening this message comes from viking committed to exploring the world in comfort